Good morning. I don't know what your highlight of lockdown has been, but for me, I've always loved being outside. And just before Christmas, we got a dog as our latest family member. He is an absolute dream. And a few weeks ago, knowing that the snow was coming, I very kindly suggested to Laura that I would get up early and head to Ballyboley to take the dog for a decent walk before the weather forced us inside for the rest of the day. It was glorious. Peace and quiet, cold, but not too cold. And then the snow started falling. It was amazing. I was about four and a half miles into my five mile walk, walking along, thinking about how lucky we are to live near such a beautiful part of the world. And I didn't spot the patch of ground that had completely frozen over, hidden under a thin layer of snow. I first realized it because I slipped and skyrocketed about 12 feet in the air and came crashing down to the ground elbow first. My immediate thought was, I've broken my arm, but it was quickly followed by the realization that being in Ballyboley alone, no one was coming to get me, so I needed to drive home. I made my way back down to the car, hopped into the car and tentatively started changing gears and managed to get myself home. Walking in the door, Laura asked, how was the walk? And it seemed my answer of, it was amazing, but I think I might have broken my arm, caught her off guard. And so I sat down, had some lunch, poked around my arm, and Laura finally suggested phoning Emma Crawford to see what she thought. And so I picked up the phone and did everything possible to describe it in such a way that Emma wouldn't tell me to go to hospital because my male brain convinced me that if no one tells me it's broken, then it isn't broken. Long story short, one quick trip to A&E and the break was confirmed. I wanted to avoid the hospital because I wanted to avoid the fact that my arm was actually broken. The adrenaline that got me home masked the pain underneath. And to be honest, all the positive thinking in the world wouldn't have made my arm any less sore the next day. So often we turn to God in the hope that he'll help us to find a way around pain or that he'll help us to avoid our pain. We turn to Jesus to show us a way to live without pain when Jesus himself didn't live a life without pain. We need to be careful when we choose to follow someone whose most critical moment in life is defined by pain and suffering. We read in John chapter 19, finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. 
A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This morning, as we think about the events of Good Friday, I have to acknowledge my struggle with the phrase because there's really nothing good about that Friday except that there's a Sunday. So often in life, we define moments in retrospect, in hindsight, when we can see the full picture. And yet on this day, had you been with the disciples as they experienced the tragedy of this moment, there was no good to be found. We can talk about the good in the Easter weekend because we know the outcome. We've glimpsed the resurrection. We know that there's hope written into the story. But for the disciples, they experienced all of this firsthand in real time. So over the next few Sundays, we're going to look at these three days that shaped humanity. And as we do that, we look through the lens of the resurrection. Because the cross can only be good news if there's a resurrection. And so this moment of intense suffering, this moment where hope feels lost, is this dramatic turning point in the story of Scripture. So as we travel together through the story of the Easter weekend, we're not just going to journey to the cross, but we're going to journey through the cross. As we step into these key moments in Jesus' story, But through them, we're going to see the incredible transformation that happened in the lives of Jesus' followers as they discovered life and hope and freedom. And so as we approach Jesus in these moments of suffering and death, we recognize that many people approached Jesus and left disappointed. There were so many people that gravitated towards Jesus because they wanted him to solve their problems. But the problems as they understood them were the problems that were out there. People had such high expectations that the Messiah, the Savior, would be their deliverer. That he would come and walk among them. That he would wage war on the systems that oppressed them. That he would dismantle the empires that pressed in all around them. And that he would liberate them so that they could live in freedom. And so people approach Jesus with this huge expectation that Jesus would solve the problems that were out there. And the reason why people couldn't quite comprehend the type of saviour that Jesus would be is because there were two narratives that felt like they were in constant conflict. On the one hand, Jesus was continually showing them that he was so much more than they thought through his teaching, through his miracles. And had Jesus come as simply a good teacher, they'd have found a place for that. Or if he spoke with the the words and the insights of the prophets, they could have found the language to describe and to understand that. But Jesus kept unwrapping the narrative that he was more than a teacher. He was more than a prophet. That he was God himself. And so people listened as he spoke of love, as he spoke of grace, as he spoke with compassion and empathy. They watched as Jesus made the blind see, the paralyzed walk. They watched him walk on water and they saw him raise people from the dead. 
And in this moment, they caught glimpses of heaven breaking into the human story of God taking on human flesh as he walked among us, living this sinless life and beautiful ministry. And so naturally, some people struggled to understand that this man they saw walking among them, eating with them, needing to rest, embracing friendships, that this man was God. For some, this was just too much to take. And yet for others, their struggle was with this seemingly conflicting side of the story. While Jesus was living out this incredible life in ministry and revealing to people that he is God, at the same time, he was unwrapping the fact that he was going to die. Jesus kept revealing these images that he would have to die. And so if it was difficult for people to grasp that Jesus was God, How much more difficult would it be for people to consider that God, their rescuer, would die? These two narratives don't complement each other. You can't be the hero in the story. You can't be God if you've told us you've come to earth to die. That's failure. And if you're telling us that you're not going to succeed, then we'll continue our search somewhere else. Because clearly you aren't who we thought you would be. And in their minds, this isn't who the deliverer must be. Because in their minds, they thought that Jesus would come to set them free from the Roman Empire. They thought that the Messiah would wage war, that he would be prepared to shed an unimaginable amount of blood to bring about victory. So there can't be a narrative that Jesus would be the Christ and that he would die because that isn't victory. You see, humanity has only ever known one way to overcome an enemy, and that's by becoming an enemy. Throughout history, these moments of violence that happen, we respond with violence. But Jesus saw another way. Jesus stepped into our world, and even though he would endure the violence of the cross, the darkest moment of humanity, he would only ever respond to us with peace. And so people looked on with this great expectation that if Jesus was who he said he was, he would free us from the problems all around us. And they missed the beauty of Jesus' ministry, that he came not to free us from the problems all around us, but to free us from the problems within us. And so in this moment, on this Friday that doesn't seem at all good, The disciples take themselves away. Hope has gone. Jesus has breathed his last. And they lock themselves in because they're consumed with fear. They're afraid of everything that was going on around them because they knew that the very people who killed Jesus would now be looking for them. And so we step into John chapter 20. The disciples are locked in a room. And in this moment, Jesus comes to them, he steps into the room through a locked door and he says, peace be with you. I think this is an important thing that the the first thing that he said was, peace be with you. Because Jesus has just been killed. He was murdered and he's come back from the dead. And yet the first thing that Jesus does is lets them know that nothing about his agenda has changed. I'm not filled with anger or wrath or vengeance. 
I am still for you. Peace be with you. In John 14, 27, just before he died, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In the moments of the days that follow after this, Jesus will breathe his last breath. But a few days later, he draws breath into his lungs again. Jesus is telling us that he hasn't changed his mind. All of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the brokenness that the world throws at me cannot change my desire to bring you peace. Peace be with you. Then he showed them the wounds and the scars. He shows them the proof that he took on all the pain and suffering that the world could throw at him. And yet all he had for us was love. You want to know how Jesus is different from us? It's that when he rose from the dead, all that he had was love. His all-consuming desire was to bring us peace. Peace be with you. And then there's this moment, this detail, that at first glance doesn't seem to be of any particular importance. Jesus has come through this locked door. Uh, he comes to set the disciples free from their fear and he comes to bring them peace. And the next thing that John writes is, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The beautiful thing is that spirit in Hebrew is ruach, which is translated as spirit or wind or breath. And to understand the significance of this moment, we have to go back to the beginning where the scriptures tell us that God spoke and everything came into existence. God said, let there be light and there was light. God spoke and the universe came into existence. God spoke and he created the water and the mountains. God spoke and he created birds in the air and fish in the sea and animals on the earth. Throughout the creation narrative, we hear of God speaking and life being born. But our story was different. God could have spoken us into existence, but he took the most basic elements of dust and earth, forming humanity, and then he drew close enough to breathe life into our being. He gave us the breath of life. We know how the story goes. Adam and Eve live in total perfection, a world without greed, a world without brokenness or shame until humanity's drawn into this conversation with the enemy and they step over that one line that God had, that one choice that would show whether we were choosing life or death. We ate from the tree, breaking the connection with God, losing that relationship that brings life, and so humanity was plunged into this state of existence. From that moment on, the human story has been one of trying to find a way to breathe again, to find something that brings meaning, to find that sense of connection or purpose, to find something that brings life. And so we seek it out by seeking power, or we seek it out in other people or in our possessions, but it leaves us with this sense of longing, this constant desire for more than this. We try to convince ourselves that things aren't broken. 
We let other voices tell us where to find purpose and meaning. We drown out the noise of discontent in our souls that tells us there must be more than this. And so in this moment, when John tells us that Jesus breathes on them, John points us back to that moment when we lost the breath of life. And now Jesus comes not only to bring peace, but to bring the breath of God, the Spirit of God, the life that only Jesus can bring. And in this moment, Friday becomes good. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw Jesus, when they heard his declaration of peace, when he breathed life into their souls, and when he set them free from their fear, to step out as people of faith, to live as people of peace. The beauty of the Easter story isn't just that Jesus came back from the dead, but that he calls us back to life. Let's pray. God, we thank you that this story is a story of hope. God, we thank you that you transform this moment of darkness and suffering into heaven's greatest declaration of life. God, we thank you that Friday is good because there's a Sunday. We thank you that Jesus has conquered death and that he returns to us peace. God, not a peace for simply the future, but a peace that we can know and experience in the here and now. So God, today we pray that we would experience your peace. So God, we want to be people of peace. God, help us declare your goodness. Help us to speak life across our families, to our friends, across our town and around this world. God, that people would recognize that there is hope in Jesus, a King that we can know as a friend. Father, we thank you that in him there is life and life in all its fullness. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.